tuning in to Beyond the Dais, a podcast about the stories taking place in and around El Paso County, Colorado. I'm your host, Scott Anderson, and today I am joined by Dr. Silpa Kreft, a pulmonologist working with the Department of Veterans Affairs. How are you doing today, Dr. Kreft? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, th- thank you for joining us today. This is actually our first remote interview. <laughs> All the other interviews I've done so far have been in person. So I really appreciate you, Dr. Kreft, for making the time. Uh, you're all the way up there in Aurora, Colorado, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for making the time to be on here today. And I uh, wanted to let our audience know that if you are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around El Paso County, or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, But to get started, Dr. Kreft, I was wondering if you could start by giving some background about yourself prior to your current position. Sure. Uh, So I um, am an occupational pulmonologist or really like a pulmonary and critical care specialist that subspecializes in occupational lung disease. So in my training and practice, I've spent a lot of time taking care of people with like work-related asthma and work-related lung disease. Um, Currently, I work at uh, the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center, where I serve as the site director of um, a clinical and research program that we call the Post-Deployment Cardiopulmonary Evaluation Network. Um, I also work both, uh, I also do some research work at National Jewish Health in the Center for Deployment Lung Disease um, that's led by Dr. Cecile Rose um, in Denver. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned the Rocky Mountain VA Medical Center. Uh, Can you tell me uh, how that operation works and who that serves? Sure. So the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center, sometimes referred to as RMR VAMC, uh, is actually the hub of a larger system called the VA Eastern Colorado Healthcare System. So um, kind of think about really like uh, Denver area, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, this region of Colorado is all under the same VA leadership. So often veterans who need specialty care, specialty evaluation or surgical procedures um, will actually be evaluated at the RMR. Although there are some future um, plans to expand some of the specialty services in the Colorado Springs area, just because we have such a large number of veterans in that region. Very cool. So can you tell me some of your primary responsibilities you have specifically with the VA as a pulmonologist with the VA? Sure. Um, So I spend um, actually the majority of my time um, as the main investigator uh, for a research study related to deployment, military deployment um, related lung disease. But I spend um, about 25% of my time um, in clinical work, meaning that I spend time both in the outpatient pulmonary clinic where I evaluate patients with um, lung disease and sleep problems. Um, I subspecialize in the vast majority of my patients are also coming to see me for concerns about toxic exposures and lung disease, whether or not it's related, or in those cases where we've already established a link, um, trying to, um, you know, focus on treatment and um, following um, them over time. 
the other part of my clinical practice is spending um, some time in the critical care unit where I um, also manage patients on the inpatient side. Um, but I would say the mo most of my practice is spent on clinical um, and research um, kind of job tasks related to um, the PACT Act related conditions, um, specifically conditions like deployment related asthma, deployment related bronchiolitis, um, sinus disease. Um, uh, so anything kind of affecting the respiratory tract. Yeah. And you mentioned the PACT Act. So when it comes to veterans and the veteran population, obviously we have a very large one here in the Colorado Springs area. Uh, the PACT Act is certainly something that is out there and it's being talked about. Uh, from your perspective, why is that such an important conversation? Well, I think that um, it's super helpful in the sense that the PACT Act has, um, I think, taken a lot of the burden of trying to figure out if um, a lung condition or, you know, a medical condition is related to previous military exposures or not. So some um, veterans have been, you know, kind of struggling to get the care that they need or maybe have had asthma after coming back from military deployment and didn't really make the connection that it could be related to their previous military service. I think the PACT Act recognizes that there are some conditions that, you know, previous research has shown or there's enough concern that these um, conditions may be related to previous exposures um, and, and, and really kind of provides um, a little bit of a blueprint of what people can do. Meaning if you have this diagnosis or you have unexplained, you know, symptoms like shortness of breath, if you get checked out and you happen to have one of the conditions that's listed in the PACT Act, you could be connected um, to, um, these could be connected to your previous service, and now you're eligible for benefits and treatment for those conditions. So there could be a huge, I think, um, you know, benefit to um, veterans who may be seeking some of that care in the private sector, but may have, um, may be eligible for care in the VA um, for those conditions. Yeah, and it, that makes me want to mention, so August 7th, 8th, and 9th here in Colorado Springs, there's going to be a, uh, being called a claims clinic, essentially, uh, for the PACT Act, and it'll allow veterans to come in and do a number of things. So we'll have, we'll be putting out some more information on that in the near future, but definitely something that I think uh, veterans, if you're listening, or uh, spouses or families of veterans, if you're listening, that is something you're going to want to keep in mind. Uh, as we move along here, though, I was wondering if you could uh, provide some insights into why respiratory conditions specifically uh, are leading concerns among veterans submitting those PACT Act related claims. You know, I think the simple answer to that is while we don't really know the true incidence or prevalence of, you know, how common these conditions are, these these respiratory conditions, like I mentioned, the rhinitis or, you know, runny nose, nasal congestion, sinus problems, asthma and bronchiolitis are really the most common complaints um, that I see in my clinic um, following military deployment. So I think that's why there seems, there seems to be a pretty significant respiratory signal. That's not to say there aren't other health concerns. Um, that's just probably where we're seeing um, patients and where some of our research has shown some of that link. And what are some of those key factors that are contributing to that prevalence of the respiratory diseases uh, among that veteran population? 
You know, that's a good question. And when people have asked me kind of a similar question before in the past, like why is it affecting, you know, my lungs and maybe not other organs? Um, I think kind of a simple part of that is just that our lungs are constantly interacting with the environment. Um, so when there is poor air quality, you know, which we experience here in the U.S. too, but not to uh, often not to the degree that's been encountered during, you know, deployments to Iraq or Afghanistan, where there's really and sometimes very poor air quality, um, you're constantly breathing in this air and, you know, your sinuses are being affected, the whole respiratory tract. And for some individuals that results in kind of a longer term um, injury or inflammation. So I think it's the method of exposure, um, you know, uh, that we're seeing contribute to what we believe to be a high burden of respiratory disease. Although, you know, future research may show that there may be other health effects that we need to look out for as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, one thing that I know you have been a part of, so back in May, you actually participated in the first PACT Act Research Symposium for Veterans Health. Uh, would you be able to share some highlights from that and elaborate on why uh, multidisciplinary collaboration is so critical in providing effective care uh, for our veteran population? Yeah, um, of course. Um, you know, so the PACT Act Symposium, I think, was an effort to get... Um, all of us kind of in the same room. And when I say all of us, I mean um, researchers and in part even some clinicians as well to kind of get an inventory of what all was going on just here locally and regionally in terms of research related to toxic exposures. I think that, you know, from word of mouth and knowing somebody, we'd be put in touch with one or two different investigators. But by having something like the PACT Act to talk about and think about how we could use our um, collective research skills to answer some of the questions that still need to be answered um, and understand what are some of the health concerns um, related to toxic exposures. Um, this really was an opportunity to get us all out of our silos where, you know, the lung people are just looking at the lung stuff. The mental health group is looking at the mental health issues. And here in Colorado, I would say those are um, probably the two research powerhouses that we have, like mental health and respiratory research. But we have a number of other um, research investigators, um, you know, both cancer specialists and gastroenterologists with the, the, and just other types of specialists that we'd like to engage. And that PACT Act Symposium got us together to discuss how we can um, try to provide um, research studies that have a more holistic approach to the veteran, rather than individually doing these things, how can we collaborate together to study multiple health effects and potentially interactions between different conditions. So it was not the, it was not just a one day event. I think, um, you know, since that time, we've actually had some follow up, where we are continuing to work on how to foster build these collaborations in terms of research um, and also you know trying to think about ways to be a little bit more veteran centric i think we've talked a lot about um you know we mentioned a little bit about the rmr va being the hub but i think a longer term goal for us is to have the research studies and in the clinical care come to the veterans too so maybe there's a way to get, you know, to provide some of these services closer to where our veterans live, meaning like Pueblo and Colorado Springs, and not always asking the veteran to come up to us. 
Right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned a lot of what you work on is the research side of that. Um, mm -hmm. How could it be beneficial for veterans to be involved in that research? And how does it improve health outcomes for them? So we have seen that um, previous participation by veterans, which, you know, is, is often going above and beyond all of the stuff they've already done for us, has really helped get us to where we are in the PACT Act. It is through some of the participation of veterans um, in research studies that has helped us to understand that people may be at risk for conditions like asthma, bronchitis, bronchiolitis, um, other kinds of respiratory cancers or other types of cancers. And so, um, you know, although definitely not required, I mean, for those veterans who have the interest and time and, um, you know, would want to contribute again, I think that this helps um, provide answers for some of the things that we don't have answers for yet um, and may help us understand the health effects from some of these toxic exposures beyond what we recognize right now with just the PACT Act. So uh, before, it, when you were talking about the symposium, that opportunity to uh, meet with uh, different types of specialists. You, you brought up the idea of that like siloed research and how by doing that, it makes it a, a lot more difficult to treat the individual as a whole, right? You're, you're not just treating yeah. part of an individual, you, you're treating all of the individual. So can, right. you, can you talk a little bit more about how that collaboration with those other specialists has really, um, I don't know if maybe created breakthroughs, but at least helped build pathways uh, to create that really more positive outcome uh, for the veterans that you're working with? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're still kind of in the early stages of that, but I can tell you that there have been times where both in clinical and research kind of needs when I've sometimes asked a veteran to, you know, tell me all of the concerns they have or symptoms and rate them in an order. I may be focused on respiratory stuff, but maybe their number one issue is their PTSD. So just in the grand scheme of things, it seems that, you know, to be able to treat that patient effectively, um, and sometimes there, there is interactions between these things that we should be, uh, you know, approaching both clinical care and research that way. So we had talked about, um, actually, I mean, this is talking a little bit about a research study we have, but creating kind of a research database or biorepository where we can actually gather information about different kinds of organ systems or different concerns of veterans um, and toxic exposures where this could be a collaboration between different kinds of researchers so that we are asking some of the mental health questions we're asking some of the you know the the stomach uh, you know related questions or the what we call gastrointestinal and we're asking those respiratory issues all in one place so avoiding having to ping the same veteran over and over again um, for different research studies, but not only being more efficient with their time, but also, you know, getting these different specialists to kind of think together and see if maybe patients with asthma who have mental health concerns or who have heartburn or reflux, you know, we're seeing different kinds of outcomes and it may help us inform treatment or think about research strategies by gathering that information and looking at the whole person. And so when you're doing that research and you're working with veterans, what are maybe some of the concerns that they bring up to you 
And, you know, how do you address those concerns for them to help, you know, whether it's ease their conscience or make them feel better about the research that's being done? Uh, what, again, what are some of those concerns and some of the responses you have to those? I think the biggest thing that I have heard from veterans, um, you know, and this is just kind of my experience and anecdote, is just, you know, being concerned about what is going to happen in the future. So um, sometimes, um, you know, they, they kind of have a sense after they've done testing, both research and clinical, where they're at right now. But 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they want to know, will I be on oxygen? You know, will I have a higher risk of developing a cancer? And you know, honestly, those are those answers I don't know right now. Um, I have now been seeing um, veterans for deployment-related lung diseases for over a decade. And in my experience, we haven't seen, you know, a lot of um, uh, significant progressive disease. But I would not say that that's the case for every single individual. And um, I think we need to not just do kind of a one-time evaluation, but this needs to be in, in the back of our mind as both medical providers and researchers so that we are able to answer this question with more confidence in the future. And, you know, and, and kind of reassure um, veterans that, you know, with continued work that hopefully these are kinds of conditions that they will live with and not, you know, and not be all defining. Um, and that that's, that's our, that's our goal for the future. You know, I mean, we, we definitely see a variety in terms of the severity of disease for veterans, but I think that's the biggest concern I've heard. So I think we need to focus on long-term care and follow-up for veterans and, um, and see how, um, what we learn in the future. Yeah, that's really interesting. And for those who are interested in being a part of that research or they're currently a part of that research, whatever the case may be. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that kind of expectation is, especially where it relates to like a timetable for research? I know I've actually been a part of some clinical research in my past, and it's one of those mm -hmm. things where there's a lot of uh, communication early on. You know, it's, you know, we communicate at like a week, a month, and, mm -hmm. you know, two months. And then it's, you know, at a year and at five years and at 10 years, right? So uh, right. that's that's just my experience and I'm sure it's different in a lot of different cases, but maybe just give uh, those who may be interested in it an idea of what they could expect if they were to be a part of that research. Right, um, so we actually have a variety. I mean, I, I'm speaking more on the respiratory side of things now, but I know that even with the mental health group that there's both long-term studies and kind of shorter term studies. So there's both options available. And I think it kind of depends on a veteran's expectations, what their schedule is like, and if, if they'd like to participate in that. For our long-term health outcomes, which is really an area of interest for me, um, driven mostly by what I've seen clinically, like I, I want to you know, have answers for veterans in the future. We have um, a longitudinal study where we check in with veterans with questionnaires and um, lung function testing every, um, initially it had been annually, but in, during the COVID pandemic, we had moved it to about every 15 to 18 months. But for those 
veterans with lung problems, we do recommend annual clinical follow-up. So we try to tag team some of the research visits to their clinical visits so it's not like an extra trip or taking up a lot of time out of their schedule. Um, for people who are not sure if they're even going to still be in the Colorado Springs area many years from now, we do have an opportunity to participate in something called a research database and biorepository where they can answer questions um, related to their deployment exposures, their current health concerns and medical history, and provide a blood sample that can be used for future testing. So um, there, there are some options where it's like a one-time participation. Um, and then we, you know, just, just to kind of give you a sample of the things we have, we also have a clinical trial. It's our first clinical trial in the treatment of deployment-related asthma using kind of a new medication. And this is a multi-site study that's actually a partnership between the VA, the University of Colorado in Aurora, and then also National Jewish Health, where um, it's a shorter study where um, veterans can be um, in a study of trying this new medication for asthma to see if it helps um, improve symptoms over a four-month period. So there's kind of a range in terms of participation those who can be seen kind of annually to every 15 to 18 months for the research purposes, some who might have a short but kind of intense um, um, research experience like the clinical trial. Um, and then, you know, another one where it's a one-time participation and are not really necessarily interested in follow-up, um, follow-up kind of study visits. Great. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, continue. Oh, no, no, that's it. I was just wondering if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely did. Thank you. And yeah. I know that there are going to be some research opportunities at this claims clinic I mentioned. Again, it's going to be mm -hmm. August 7th, 8th, and 9th here in the Colorado Springs area. Uh, but for those who, you know, may not be able to attend or, you know, want to get started right away <laughs> doing some mm -hmm. research, uh, what is the best way for them to get involved in that research? I think um, just kind of seeking out like the research table would be the first step. Um, so there will be, you know, we will have representatives from our research group as well as um, some of the other um, research groups at, um, at our VA will be there. I know that, um, you know, our um, VA representative, um, Mr. Dustin Sanger, had mentioned that there will be some um, possibility to even um, provide some specimens for research that will be transported back to the VA. In terms of our studies, um, there's a little bit more um, um, processing that has to take place, and I don't think we have the staff for it at that particular time, but we will definitely have information um, and research coordinators present to talk about the study, answer questions, and enroll um, veterans if they're interested. Um, yeah. Very good. And then uh, before we end here, I was just wondering if there's anything else you'd like to add that maybe we haven't discussed yet that you think would be important for listeners to know. Um, I was just going to say that um, with the PACT Act coming along, I think that this is a great opportunity for veterans who, you know, maybe have thought about filing a claim or um, thought about seeking medical care for kind of unexplained you know, shortness of breath or other medical symptoms that they have to go get checked out. Um, you have a very captive audience right now, both for medical providers and researchers. And I think that um, um, it just, 
I think this is a great time to get some of that information and to know that even, you know, I, I've ha sometimes had some veterans who've said, well, I'm not on oxygen. So there's other people who need this more than me. I, and I, I think that, you know, there's different ways that these conditions impact our life and that with all of the service that our veterans have, you know, provided to this country, this is the least I think we can do for them. And, um, um, hoping that um, they take advantage of the opportunity to at least get some of their questions answered um, at some of the upcoming events um, or just through our um, VA. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Kraft. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today and for all the work that you do uh, for our veteran population. So again, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks again. If you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, you can find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.